Good morning and welcome to River City 360 views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host Robert Zirk. On today's show, Fast Pitch 2017 is well underway and we'll be talking storytelling with this year's facilitators Kate Friesen and Dave McLeod. We'll also speak with Cal Barteski, renowned artist and founder of the Polar Bear Fund. She's got a new exhibit that launched this week called Polar Bear Polar Bear and we'll have an exclusive one-on-one sit-down interview with Cal herself. Then we'll speak with Mike Ellis, information and virtual services librarian at the Winnipeg Public Library to find out about how you can access resources and learn new skills both at the library and from the comfort of your own home. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to RC360. Nolan and Robert here with you as we are almost every Sunday, I guess every Sunday. Hey, every Sunday. 8 a.m. You can wake up and spend your mornings with us. Why not? Who better? I can't think of exactly. anyone better. So today's show is <laughs> today's show is really cool. We have uh, we're going to talk storytelling with two uh, renowned storytellers. We're going to talk art with a renowned artist, and we're going to talk uh, information with a renowned informationalist, uh, Mike Ellis at the uh, Winnipeg Public Library. But uh, the first story is all about storytelling. So Rob, what I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. What makes a good story? What's your what's your favorite kind of story? I think that. Sometimes it's not so much what the story is, but how you tell it. Ah. Knowing how to tell an effective story in a concise way, but also in a way that still lets you paint a picture of what's going on. Um, Very well said. Yeah. We're going to talk all about storytelling with Kate Friesen and David McLeod. They are the facilitators of this year's uh, Fast Pitch. They are teaching various uh, leads or who, representatives of, of uh, nonprofit organizations here in Winnipeg how to tell their stories and how to tell it, as you mentioned, Rob, in a succinct way, because they only get three minutes in Fast Pitch. We're going to lay out all the rules about how Fast Pitch works, how the storytelling is going to go down, and just how to what makes a good story, because uh, these are two nationally renowned storytellers and uh, i think it, they'll have a lot of interesting things to say but before kate and david get into the uh into the room here we're gonna listen to billy vaughn with when the white lilacs bloom again right here on river city 360 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by Kate Friesen and Dave McLeod. They are the facilitators of Fast Pitch 2017. Thank you for joining us in studio. Pleasure to be here. Really nice to be here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Fast Pitch. It's culminating on uh, March 23rd is the finals at the Met. Uh, but before we get into your roles in Fast Pitch, let's talk a little bit about why you were uh, brought in as the facilitators in general. You're both uh, storytellers, known first and foremost. Kate, you've uh, spent some time at CBC, over 25 years at a, as a producer there. Dave, you're the CEO of Native Communications Incorporated, which operates provincial radio, uh, board member of APTN, and Manitoba Film and Music, all sorts of things. So I guess my first question for you is, um, why did you did you choose to make storytelling your, your profession, if it was a choice, and, and why, if so? Okay, Dave's looking at me, so I guess <laughs> I'll go first. Sure. Well, actually, my my uh, um, I, I've done a lot of shifting in terms of careers, and and most uh, most of them, I would say, the theme has been has been story. So I actually um, haven't spent twenty five years at CBC, oh. but be, so and that's fine. I spent a lot of time there. Uh, but before that, I worked as a singer songwriter and a performer, and um, I was always very. Um, fed by the stories that I would hear um, you know when, when you work as a when you work as a musician you generally have to have other jobs <laughs> uh -huh. and I was working in Toronto at that point and one of the first jobs that I got there was uh, no kidding my, my job title was called wandering minstrel and I actually uh, did music in care homes wow. and um, I went to see I slung on my guitar and I would walk through the halls and I would go to see the people who were the most isolated and who couldn't go to programs and what I always say is I inherited 70 grandparents because I went to see in the course of a week 70 different people wow. and um, most of them had many stories and not many ears to listen mm -hmm. so I would sing a song and we would sing a song together and then it would bring up stories and a lot of those stories filtered down and became uh, fodder for me to write about I did a lot of uh, writing about th those stories and then I'd get on stage and I would use um, use those stories as a way to connect with my audience as well so I, it was instinctive for me that story is an amazing way to connect with people because it was an amazing way for me to connect personally with others great so that would have been my first fantastic yeah. David well I think stories are, I, I grew up with hearing a lot of stories firstly with uh, my parents and, and my grandparents uh, and and I think from there it just went on to uh, an extended family of sorts. Um, I was working in Thompson and visiting a lot of northern communities, particularly Cree communities, and hearing a lot of stories from the uh, indigenous communities. And then stories uh, were also part of my life uh, when I moved to Winnipeg in 1999 uh, and became involved with uh, local theater companies and also with the um, uh, the Aboriginal Writers Collective, as it was called at that time. So, and I was also involved with some uh, spoken word groups as well. So always actively involved. And then Kate and I worked together when she was at CBC. So, um, and that was focused on stories, a lot of documentary, uh, some documentary kind of work. So, yeah, no, I think uh, everybody has a story to tell. And that's something that I've really come to to know at uh, particularly at fast pitch um, you know uh, quite often you hear about uh, the elevator pitch you know where you're in an elevator and you tell your story and a, a quick synopsis of it and and this is an extended version of that where it's three minutes and a lot of uh, organizations we've had the pleasure to connect with 
have to formulate that three-minute stories. But it's but it's a you know a lot of a nonprofit groups particularly are caught up with uh, mission and mandates mm -hmm. right. uh, reports. Uh, funding reports and all those kind of things, but it's nice to press pause and say, what is the heart of our organization? Why are we here? What difference do we make? And uh, you know, how do we connect with people? Right. You know, and what's our purpose? What's our our our, our purpose? really from the heart of the organization mm -hmm. and, and that's been a fascinating journey where we've been able to hear and learn a lot from a from a lot of people so being being in this sort of world of storytelling for decades now um kate you hosted a toronto music show called absolutely folk i understand so uh, folk music uh, i would imagine is very story based you know you're telling a story quite often how has how has the art of storytelling or the art of songwriting or anything like that changed over over your career how have, how have you seen it change and evolve over the years i think i think the the core of story stays the same um the core of story is uh that somebody can take us on a journey somewhere and you start in one place and you end in another sometimes that's an emotional journey sometimes that's an actual like you're taking them on a physical journey whatever that whatever that is um, and in terms of music, I would say, you know, from the music I listen to now and that's being produced by the next generation, that core of that, of, of that, of that essence is still there, right. is still there. I don't think that's changed that much. I think that how we exchange stories and connect with each other. And so it has changed, um, uh, maybe even sometimes the length of the story is social media. Right. Um, and um and and the use of like mixing text and photos and and video and um and and making that connection uh to maybe a wider audience that we don't all know and then that and then that story gets amplified that's changed but a good story is a good story right and and uh and and one of the things that i always come back to when i teach storytelling now uh, and when Dave and I are teaching this together is is um, some people, yes, have a gift. They can really spin a yarn or they can take you like they, they'll meet you at work and they go, you'll never guess what happened to me on the way to work. And they can really take you there. Everyone actually has that ability. It's the same as singing. I, I don't really believe that mo and that anyone is that tone deaf. Like almost everybody can sing. Everybody can tell a story. Um, and maybe what's changed and dave you might think this too is 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 that because of of the way that our maybe our kids are on phones and the way that we're we're all kind of multitasking maybe there's less of that real face-to-face -face live storytelling happening the kind that we yeah. grew up around the tables well, well i think there's a you know and and, and we're we're looking for a, a high degree of honesty for people to find some depth and and also to uh, inspire the audience. I mean, ultimately, at the end of it, um, you know, it's not about who win who's going to win. I mean, obviously, that's part of it. There there is uh, money on the table that are, that's at stake. But but it's more than that. Is because people can explain um, where they are. I mean, there's uh, you know, there's a, where examples where some. Uh, organizations had three stories and where some didn't have a story but just a lot of facts and a lot of st stats and had to talk to uh, co-workers go back to their workplace and we, we've already seen and we've seen so much development there where people 
came back and they said, well, this is how it touched my life. This is how my workplace touches other lives or a particular life. So thematically, I think that, that that's a thread that runs through all of them is, is just um, that cause and effect that, we, that, that a lot of nonprofits in this city have. And there's a lot of amazing organizations that, that people don't know about here. You know, um, uh, there's so many examples. Like we met the lady from uh, The Wrench, which brings together young people now you think it's just putting like you know it's putting bicycles together but there's so many stories about the bike parts where they're from how they're put together you know and and some of the the, the stories that take you there uh on that journey of 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 what a bike how a bike can make a difference right. in one person's life in this city that that kind of focus is uh is that's what's going to be the strength and drawing power of this event when when it's when it's staged in uh, in in a few weeks. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk all about fast pitch. I'm going to talk about your approach to how to hone in on you know potentially decades worth of story into three minutes of time because that's not an easy task but we're going to take a quick musical break when we come back we'll talk all about fast pitch and your approaches as the facilitators we are speaking with kate friesen and dave mcleod of fast pitch 2017 stay tuned
Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you this morning, and we are speaking with Kate Friesen and Dave McLeod, the facilitators of Fatch Fast Pitch 2017, which is going to be culminating on March 23rd at the Met. So before the break, we were talking about storytelling and your sort of approaches to storytelling. Uh, now, Fast Pitch is going to be uh, where 15 different uh, nonprofits are going to get together and try to tell their story in three minutes or less to a room full of people who are eventually going to sort of uh, there's going to be judges and they're going to decide who's the best it's kind of like dragon's den for nonprofits. but w how are you approaching it as storytellers and how are you going to try to help these groups hone their hone their message well i think w one of the first things is is just being honest you know it's not we're not making up stories uh we're alluding to um to facts to things that did happen that that uh that people can share and and as we talked about earlier it's that one-on-one -on -one approach where it's uh a person kind of bearing their soul i mean you're 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 not with a, a group of people you're in front of a microphone you're standing in front of an audience and you're in the spotlight and you get a lot of nonprofit uh leadership that that are that's a new environment for them to be in so, so it's not just the story itself, it's the physicality, it's the, uh, the, the physical body movement, it's the eye contact, it's the voice you use, and, and, and the power of story within it. Yeah, so it's not a, and, and, and it's not a performance as much as an authentic right. connection. Um, it's about being present. And that's really easy to say, like, go on stage in front of 250 people and tell Bare a story without notes, without <laughs> yeah. a PowerPoint, without, without any photos, no without props. any props, but be present. And, you know, uh, what we're, but what happens and what's really uh, magic, because we're already, we're already been working with these, uh, with this group for a while. And we recently had the first kind of rehearsal. So we're. Um, the nonprofit uh, leaders were getting in front of the rest of the coaches because every one of them gets two coaches. Right. So they're in a room full of 50 people and, and, and they're, giving, they're giving their story for the first time. Is that when people are connecting with that authentic story, um, they, they are really present. Right. And so one of the things that, that, that Dave and I have done in terms of uh, working with them is, uh, is walking through with them making that connection to the story that got them to the place where they were in the first place. Like, as I always say, no, no one becomes a nonprofit leader because they want to make the big bucks. They're there because they have something that they're right. really passionate about. So making that connection again in their busy lives to that and then figuring out um, what the best story is that's going to help their audience connect with them and when you mm -hmm. and, and when you find that connection it's that organic like coming from the inside out so it's not teaching them how to tell a story that they can perform but it's helping people get in touch with the story that is most authentic and most they feel most passionate about and then finding a way to have that you know mm -hmm. uh connect on stage so, so what did you know about fast pitch before you approached this and 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 what are you sort of hoping to gain from the experience you you personally well, I did. We um, we obviously uh, we watched some videotapes of last year's performances, uh, some and and I think that the um, that was very telling in itself. So we saw some you know the strengths, what works, what didn't work, what kind of worked but could have been strengthened. So we 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 did our homework and also some reading about fast pitch as well, and um, and I guess taking that with the knowledge that we both have 
and uh, combining it together. And that's what made it really exciting when we when we walked into the room because uh, we we did our homework and and we were ready to uh, to to form those stories. And and I think the first hurdle was for people to look at the internalize where they work and the difference they make. And and some of us get caught up in working and doing what we what we have to do, but but stopping to say why is this important to me, you know why wh- why is this part of my journey? What journey did I have to get me here? Or or looking out and saying you know what I'm doing is really important and here's why, right? right. Some of us are you know you, there's humility in some people where they where they just you know I just do my work, but no you have to you have to stop and recognize uh, your purpose, right. So how does it feel when you see those light bulb moments come on? I'm, I'm assuming there's been a few of them in the coaching sessions. You guys are doing the power of story yeah, workshops. We've done that. Yeah. So, so when you see these moments of like, oh, that's okay. That's that little nugget of truth mm-hmm. or that little moment of genuine authenticity that kind of people realize is what they need to sort of build a pitch around. How does that make you feel when you, you see those moments and there's those eyes light up, I would imagine? Um, it's, it's a gift. It's amazing. Um, and I always say whenever we have a fast pitch event coming up, a, a, a fast pitch day is a good day. Um, I would say like six months ago, uh, neither Dave and I had ever heard of fast pitch. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was in the process of, of leaving CBC where I've been working in storytelling on the journalist side, journalist side for uh, 13 years. Wow. Um, and coincidentally bumped into somebody who used to work at CBC uh, in the lineup at Portage Place, like getting some sushi, and and she said, "Oh, so what are you doing?" So I'm I'm gonna leave CBC. She goes, "Oh my God, that's a huge news!" And what are you gonna do? Well, I knew I wanted to do something with storytelling, so I'd made a job title up for myself. I said, "I'm gonna do storytelling for nonprofits." She said, "That's great. You have to find out about Fast Pitch," right. and it was one of those uh, moments of connection because because of uh, of that, I called. Uh, Jennifer Partridge at uh, the Winnipeg Foundation and it was just before the plans were being solidified. Serendipitous. And I had a meeting with her and then the next thing I did was I called up Dave because if there was anyone I'd worked (laughs) with um, and we did a lot of collaboration um, in in our radio lives together so uh, if there's anyone that I wanted to work with on storytelling it was Dave and it was mainly like an instinct and a gut feeling um, that is totally uh, been the, the the right gut feeling um, that together because we have different perspectives on story we can actually offer people um, uh, a, a lot a, like a bigger perspective mm-hmm. that sense of the whole being greater than the right. than the sum of its parts so when I'm in that room and I'm seeing that connection being made when I'm when I'm seeing someone who's who's an incredible scientist actually pull out an amazing story about about the day um, Oh, I shouldn't give it away. Okay, um, a, an amazing story that that shows that he really un- began to understand the power of connecting around story, and and then his science became alive. Uh, when when I see that happen, I go, "This is what I want to be doing. I want to be passing on this this passion that I have for storytelling, and and seeing it have an impact." And and people being like really open to like like beginning their beginning their story. And being emotional to the point where their eyes are uh, watering, you know, they're 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 holding back some tears and sharing something very personal, and then they have to do it again and again to get rehearsed or get ready for that for that final performance. And you just think, like, all these people are so amazing and they're so gifted, 
and and this is such a unique opportunity and i just got to say like when kate asked me to be part of this uh, to work with her on it i was i was thrilled because her enthusiasm was you know through the roof and i thought this 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 is um this affects our city like these are nonprofit groups that do amazing work so to to play a, a role in this is is what an incredible opportunity but after this i think uh you know there's going to be a lot of networking and connections going on as well at that final performance too so so there's a lot of magic that's going to happen and and, and uh that's uh, to, to play a, a small role in all of that going on it's uh you know it's a real honor so for before i let you go let's i'm going to ask one final question what what is your your go-to or number one tip for someone who wants to become a better storyteller Ooh. good question you know, I, you know, I, I know uh, storytellers, and I've worked with storytellers. That it's always, it's always know where you're going. Have your end. If, if I can just give one tip, you know, make sure you have a, a solid ending, because sometimes you'll weave and take different directions to get there. But make sure you know your ending, the destination, and and your setup. So your setup and your ending, right? Mm-hmm. So the so the beginning and your end. At least have that. The middle part sometimes takes different uh, voyages. So uh, I guess really quickly, I yeah. ju- I would make that suggestion. That's good. Hmm. Well, I, I I'll I'll give you a tip that that I think uh, is particularly pertains to the, to fast pitch. Sure. So whenever you're telling somebody. Um, to condense a story, sort to, of. Yeah. yeah, it's not as much condensing. Is is that uh, to really believe that uh, the, the the personal is incredibly universal, and when we tell a personal story, and people go, "That's so small," but we identify with people, not with big organizations. We identify with one-to-one relationships. So finding that that personal story that speaks to a universal truth. Um, it, it's a powerful thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today. We have Kate Friesen and Dave McLeod, the facilitators from this year's Fast Pitch 2017, which is going to be uh, the final on March 23rd. Thank you so much for talking to us today, and uh, good luck with the rest of Fast Pitch, and thank you for being involved. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks My for pleasure. having us. Thanks, Nolan. And as Kate and Dave mentioned, Fast Pitch will have the top 10 finalists giving their fast pitches on March 23rd at the Met. That's the Metropolitan Theatre downtown. Stay tuned to River City 360 in the future for more details about that and how you can attend the big event. Coming up next, my conversation, my sit-down one-on-one with Cal Barteski. Cal, uh, as some of you may know, we've covered her on the show before, is an amazing artist. Uh, she's gained national and international acclaim for her artwork depicting polar bears and her script work um, her, and her work to help polar bears in real life. She recently launched the Polar Bear Fund at the Winnipeg Foundation, and she has a brand new exhibit called Polar Bear, Polar Bear that is currently running right now. I had the opportunity to speak with Cal on Friday, which was the launch of the new exhibit, and we'll have that conversation conversation coming up next but first here's Bing Crosby with accentuate the positive right here on River City 360 you got to accentuate the positive mind it to negative latch on to the affirmative don't mess with mister in between you got to spread joy up to the maximum bring gloom down to the minimum, have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate his last remark, Jonah in the whale, Noah in the ark. What did they do just when everything looked so dark? 
business then we better accentuate the positive eliminate it the negative latch on to the affirmative don't mess with mr in between no do not mess with mr in between do you hear me Chillin' Anna, you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and an accent on a positive. And gather round me, children, if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing the attitude of doing right. You gotta accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on to the affirmative, don't mess with Mr. In Between. Got to spread jar up to the maximum. Bring gloom down, down to the minimum. Otherwise, otherwise, liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate, well, illustrate my last remark. You got the floor. Jonah, Jonah in the well, Noah in the ark. What did they say? What did they say? Say when everything looks so dark. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you this morning, and we are live on location at uh, Polar Bear Polar Bear. It is Cal, Cal Barteski's uh, exhibit that is celebrating polar bears and in support of the Polar Bear Fund, uh, the fund that you founded at the Winnipeg F- Foundation. Cal, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you are a, a renowned artist, and this exhibit is very cool. I'm kind of walking around um, the gallery right now. Tell me a little bit about your motivation to, to do this exhibit and why you wanted to start the Polar Bear Fund. Well, I've been painting polar bears for about five years, and I was painting them for absolutely no purpose other than selfish personal enjoyment. Um, and I, my collection grew out of control. So about a year and a half ago, I decided to have a, a polar bear show and just see if possibly anyone might be interested in what I'd love to do. What I truly love to do, I'm a little bit obsessed with it. So a year and a half ago, I had a polar bear show and I released 30 paintings um, and they sold out in just a few days. And I was completely overcome with gratitude that people actually came and that people actually cared. So it really just fueled me and I continue to paint polar bears. And and because of that, I just get a lot of questions. When is the next polar bear show? And I looked around my studio and I realized I have enough paintings for probably another polar bear show. So let's do it. Well, there are dozens on the walls and they all have, I'm noticing either human names or names of the polar bears. So where did they, I'm seeing Henry, I'm seeing Greta, I'm seeing Sully. Tell me about where the motivation for, for these specific paintings came and the stories that kind of come from them. Well, I am an emotional painter and when you are painting a painting of any kind, but a polar bear for me, uh, you spend a lot of time with that animal. You're looking into the eyes, you're, you know, really studying the the form and the gesture and the character and you're kind of, you know, having a conversation with that being, you know, what, what do you look like today? Are you angry? Are you having a great time? Like, what's your story? And so I feel like I probably spend too much time in my head, but they become that character. And, and I don't think that there's any other way to name these paintings other than by giving them a name. 
Yeah, the one that's really strike, striking uh, and comes to mind is the the baby behind the mom's leg and the, you, the, the, the subtlety and sort of the nervousness in the eyes you really captured. Um, wh- when you see those moments, why, why do you choose those moments to capture? I choose those moments because they resonate with me. And what I really want to do with polar bears is give people a glimpse of something they haven't seen before in hopes that maybe they will care a little bit more and that we'll do something. I mean, there's a there's a push, save the polar bears, you know, save the sea ice, global warming, but, but we're all connected. So that's really the whole um, idea behind the line. Everything is connected. If we don't save the polar bears, we won't be saving anything. So... You really capture the personalities, and I think you personify them in in a lot of these works. Why do you think that's important to sort of um, allow people to see the almost human humanity in their eyes? Yes, that's a great question because I tried really hard for almost all my life not to anthropomorphize animals, so not to give them human characteristics. But I learned from a polar bear scientist, um, an expert, and a keeper at one of the one of the bigger zoos in North America that. Anything that has a brain, there was a Declaration of Cambridge in 1986, I think is the right date, but anything that has a brain shares the same emotions. So things like love, anger, jealousy, they're all really important for our survival. We need to love our community, we need to you know, feel jealous to protect bonds, we need to, we need to do these things. So actually anthropomorphizing these things is, is right, it's, it's good. And I think if you've ever watched even a house cat or a dog, you know that they they do express certain behaviors when they're afraid, when they're you know jealous, or you know when they're you know super excited. So I think these have human characters because they they share those. Like it's even you see coyness, you see like really sort of interesting, like that one over there, aloof, sort of hanging out, just inviting inviting eyes. What has been some of the response of people when they see these works, and and what's been some of the feedback that you're getting? Um, I think they. People must think I'm crazy. There's a lot of bears. That's a lot of bears. I think I'm topping 250 bears now in the last five years. Um, I hope, I mean, most of the people look at it and they see something that they haven't seen before, haven't thought about before, or, or are at a distance or a proximity or an angle that they haven't experienced a bear from before. And, and I hope that they would be inspired to learn a little bit more. You, you even weave in, uh, I'm seeing some Leonard Cohen lyrics and some Buddhist quotes. Where does that inspiration come from? Oh, I love words. I feel like words are just paint for, you know, visually, I don't know if I can say visually impaired people. I just, for, for myself, words really paint pictures for me in my brain and their colors. And, and I love that they can be interpreted by people in different ways. And, and I just feel like words really fit. Some of the some of the paintings have stories. Well, most of them have stories beside, beside the uh, actual works. Where did these stories come from? Have you traveled up north? Where did where did this inspiration come from? I have traveled up north, and I have had this really amazing journey of getting to know people in polar bear. I don't know the realm of polar bears. So all sides: zookeepers, conservation officers, bear guides, photographers, just people that live among polar bears, just polar bears from all different sides. And I find that is the most fascinating part is seeing how polar bears are different to everyone. And, and I, I love it. So yes, I have gone up north many times. And what has that experience been like from when you first started this journey to who you are now? What, how have you changed over the years? Uh, well, I've definitely, I've come into a focus. I think my first trip up north changed what I was doing. Um, I really opened my eyes and it was incredibly inspiring and I just feel like I woke up 
I woke up and this is what I wanted to do and and I'm still doing it. Are you trying to wake up people who come to the, is that sort of the goal, is to wake up people to the needs and to the sort of uh, plight of the polar bear? Yeah, you know what, if, if you came and you looked and you saw and you even just wanted to travel to Churchill, I think that's a step in the right direction. I'm noticing some of the paintings have, I'm assuming, a conscious decision to have sort of the, the paint dripping down a little bit. What, what, is the, what is the creative motivation for that? A lot of people want me to say that it's melting. Um, I'm just really messy, and I think life is imperfect. And if I've learned anything, getting to know people in polar bears and getting to know polar bears, uh, you know, there are nine sides to every story, and everything is imperfect. But as long as we're you know, trying, starting conversation, doing better, uh, then I think we're on the right track. So for our listeners out there who haven't seen your works and uh, you would like to invite them down to, to Hut K this week, uh, what would you tell them to sort of get their get their butts in the seats here and get, their, get them down here? Well, you know what, I think this is, if you're interested at all in polar bears or line art or geometric art, I think make the, make the trip. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. So what are the hours? Where can we find out more? And if someone wants to look you up, where can they find it? Uh, the hours are 11 till 6. Friday, March 3rd is the closing day. So we'll have a little bit of a party, stay open a little bit later. It's first Fridays in the exchange. Um, if you want to check my website, it's calbarteski.com. But the best thing to do would probably be to check me out on Instagram, which is just calbarteski. And there's lots of information there. Perfect. So Polar Bear Polar Bear is on now. Cal Barteski, thank you very much. Renowned artist in Winnipeg and, and founder of the Polar Bear Fund at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thanks, Cal. As Cal mentioned, her brand new exhibit, Polar Bear Polar Bear, runs now until March 3rd at Hut K, which is located at 200 Princess Street. You can also follow Cal on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash Cal Barteski. That's K-A-L-B-A-R-T-E-S-K-I. Coming up after the break, have you ever wanted to learn how to take great photos, make your own website, or how to fix your car? What if we told you there was a way to do all these and more for free with nothing more than just a library card? Mike Ellis from the Winnipeg Public Library will be stopping by to tell us more. But first, here's Lena Horn with Watch What Happens on River City 360. From a long, lonely night Let someone start believing in you Let him hold out his hand Let him touch you and watch what happens Want someone who can look in your eyes and see into your heart Let him find you and watch what happens Hold Now I can't believe your heart is cold I think you're slow to warm From a long, lonely night Let someone With a deep love to give Give that deep love to you And what magic you'll see 
morning and welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning and we are now joined by Mike Ellis. He is the Information and Virtual Services Librarian at the Winnipeg Public Library. Mike, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I wanted to chat with you about some of the resources that are available to people who want to learn a new skill specifically. And there are a lot of things that the library has available online to people that maybe the public isn't quite aware of. One of those is one that I actually use personally that I find very interesting, and it kind of covers everything from learning how to make music to creating and editing videos to all kinds of different multimedia topics. Tell us a little bit about that service. Recently, in the last year or two, we subscribed to a service called Linda Library. Linda Library is a version of the lynda.com service that you can purchase yourself, but it's made especially for libraries. It's all the same content, and um, it covers, like you said, a wide range of topics, uh, including digital media, which it sounds like you're most interested in, but everything from how to use your computer right from the basics up to how to program a computer. I use it quite a bit myself in my, in my work uh, when I need to brush up on my programming skills. And the tutorials are very detailed, like there's video, there's also a text transcript. In some cases, depending on what you're learning, you get project files where you can kind of follow along with what's going on on screen. Yeah, they're professional level courses. Um, You can learn a lot of this stuff in other places on the internet. Um, I personally use YouTube to pick up new skills and uh, and knowledge all the time. But if you want to really get a quality, fact-checked source of, uh, of learning. Uh, it's hard to do better than Linda. And it's available completely free to anyone with a library card. So if people want to access these resources, how do they go about doing that? As with websites are, there's lots of different ways to actually get to our Linda service. But probably the easiest one is to go to our website, which is uh, wpl.winnipeg.ca slash library. And on the left-hand side, we have a menu, and one of the items is Our Collections. And under that uh, menu, there is, under Our Collections, is Online Learning and Tutorials, which takes you to a guide about how to use Linda, how to sign up for Linda, and also has some uh, suggested starting points for various kinds of learning. And that's not all that's offered. There's also so many other different services and resources that are available to people. Everything from free audiobooks and free ebooks. You can even learn how to fix a vehicle as well if you wanted to. Tell us a bit about some of the other uh, things that are offered through the online resources section of the library. That's right. We have uh, quite a number of uh, resources. Um, you alluded to ebooks and audiobooks. Our main source for that is Overdrive. So if you're in a position where you don't have time to come down to the library, you can grab reading or listening material through it. Um, we also have uh, Zinio, which is a 
e-magazine source. Um, we also just brought on a couple more e-magazine sources, Flipster, um, which has some titles that we haven't been able to offer before, very popular ones like People, Maclean's. We have Press Reader that just came out, which uh, is an amazing resource. It has something like 6,000 magazines and newspapers from around the world, including the Winnipeg Free Press and the Winnipeg Sun and Metro. We also have, as you alluded to, we have the Children's Auto Repair Guide online. I've used that myself to save a, a, a trip to the garage. Even if you're not you know, uh, really up to date with what you can do on a car these days yourself, it can let you know whether it is something you can tackle yourself. Like um, if your brake is, in my case, my brakes were leaking on my car and I could, was able to figure out what the most common uh, source for that is and, and I could see whether or not it was a job I could do myself and I saved myself a few hundred dollars probably. It's such a great way to learn something and even from the comfort of your own home you can pick up so many skills and, and save as you mentioned save yourself a lot of money as well in the process. That's right or find a new job. I know that people use our online learning resources to improve their skills in the job search. Um, we also have in-person uh, uh, sessions where we train people and help them improve their skills. We offer a number of classes on how to use computers. Uh, so we focus on Windows computers because it's what the, the job market is asking for, but how to use Windows, how to use Word, Office programs like Excel, um, how to navigate the internet and how to use email. Uh, and it starts right at the beginning, like how to turn on a computer, how to move your mouse, how to get a new line when you're typing. And they're very popular. I wanted to mention something about those in-person resources that are offered as well through the library. So different branches offer a number of different workshops that people can take to also learn new skills in a variety of areas. What are some of the, uh, you mentioned some of those workshops based around the job search. What are some of the other options that are available to people who want to come in and want to learn a new skill? We have a large and often changing uh, selection of programs that we offer. They can change all the time, but things that seem to be popular are our maker programs. So we have people who want to come in and learn how to make a simple circuit to incorporate in a craft project, or um, learn how to use a small microcontroller called an Arduino to control some lights or switches or sensors, that sort of thing. But not all of our stuff is computer or tech-based. We have how to write a will, information about uh, renters and leasers' rights with regards to their landlords, lots of life learning programs. And so how can people register for these programs or see the complete catalog of what's available in their neighborhood? So there's a few different ways. Some of our programs do require registration and calling into the branch where it's being held. But to find out about them, there's our newsletter at the library. And that every two months, uh, so January, March, uh, etc., it comes out and uh, lists all of our programs for the coming two months. We also, on our website, have, uh, if you scroll down on our page that I mentioned earlier, there's a, a list of upcoming events, which shows the ones coming up in the next few days. But if you click on the link, we'll show you the complete calendar of everything that's available. That's excellent. And of course, the website that people can go to to find out about any of the in-person resources or any of the online resources that they could access from home with 
just their library card uh, is wpl.winnipeg.ca. That's right. Perfect. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today and sharing all this wonderful information about the various resources that are available to people. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. And now we're continuing our series of refugee stories from an event hosted by the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery in which people from various backgrounds shared brief snapshots of their experiences as refugees. This week, Helga Gunter shares the story of her mother, Katja Gertz. She fled twice. The first time was in 1928 from the USSR with her parents and siblings due to trauma, chaos, and uncertainty after the Russian Revolution, as well as the persecution and violence thereafter. Her family went from the USSR to Germany and to Brazil, then back to Germany and then to Poland. Along with her husband and children, she also fled Poland in 1945 to escape the advancing Red Army and lived in Germany as refugees until August of 1948, when they arrived in Canada and settled in Snowflake, Manitoba. Before we get to it, a warning that some of the details in the story are graphic and listener discretion is advised. Here, as told by her daughter Helga, is Katja's story. It is a privilege for me to share a snippet one day of the Road to Freedom story of my mother, Katja, Katie Gertz. The year was 1945. It was winter. We were on a wagon train going somewhere in Germany, trying to escape the exploding artillery and horrible scenes of death and mud. I was five years old. My brother Dietmar was seven. That day, to pass the time, we counted the number of dead horses that had succumbed and were lying beside the road. That day, the number reached 122. Harry, our little brother, age two, was very sick and cranky. Dad was up front driving the horses, braving the elements, and keeping us safe. Our mother was huddled in the corner of her seat. She had cried quietly to herself all day. We had slept bedded on straw, in the school the night before. During that night, someone had stolen our luggage and all our clothing. The clothes we wore and our hair were crawling with lice. Mother was not feeling well. She was carrying a new life within her. And yet she was still mourning the baby boy we had buried in Kesselhof, Prussia, the year before. She was despondent. Where are we going? How will we live? God was very good to us. In spring, the war was declared to be ended, and we arrived in a village near Hamburg called Krumse, where very kind people took us in and cared for us. They fed us, they bathed us, they treated our hair, and to this day I remember the wonderful feeling of sleeping between clean sheets. Eckhart was born that June and Ingrid the next year. We ended up in a German refugee camp, Falling Bostel, 
prior to being sponsored for Canada in 1948. Katja and Jacob brought with them their five children, a large travel debt, no money or possessions, but a strong faith in God, in each other, and hope for the future. Their sponsors helped them buy a farm in Snowflake, Manitoba. Dad grew wheat and canola. Two more children, Anne and Paul, were added to the family. Katja lived to be 97 years old, grateful to God, her family, and her community in Canada. Thank you to Helga for sharing your mother's story with us, and a special thank you to Ray Dirks and the Mennonite Heritage Centre Gallery. We'll conclude our series of refugee stories next week here on River City 360. Thanks, Robert. We've got time for one more tune before we go, so here's the Count Basie Orchestra with Rockabye Basie right here on River City 360.
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all those things on our website. Visit rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. We'd love to hear your feedback as well about the program. Give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can follow us on Twitter as well and on Facebook by searching at RiverCity360 on Facebook and RiverCity360 on Twitter as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Sunday.